All right, good morning. You ever have your brain just go blank for a second? Where are we? What are we doing right now? Okay. The church, right? If you open up to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be continuing our verse-by-verse study through 1 Peter. And this morning, I want to talk to you guys about being like Jesus, right? Have you ever had anybody say to you, you remind me of somebody? Has that ever happened? Sometimes they say you remind them of somebody, you're like, oh, that's cool, and sometimes you're like, uh-uh, no, not that one, right? When I was in high school, um, believe it or not, I had glorious hair, and when the Karate Kid movies came out, people used to walk up to me in random places and go, are you Johnny from Karate Kid, right? Because I, I had the Johnny hair and the bangs and stuff, and um, there was one incident where I was in the local library here and, and, and you know, some cute girl walked up to me and was like, oh, are, are you Johnny from Karate Kid? And I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> Can I get your autograph? Sure, right? So um, I wasn't saved at the time. So, uh, But, you know, you may have heard, you know, in the, in the, on the internet and stuff, one of, uh, one of uh, the famous celebrities who always deals with this is Tony Hawk right, the famous uh, professional skateboarder. It, it, there's, there's so many stories of him being in places and people walk up to him and go, you look just like Tony Hawk. And he's like, uh, I am Tony Hawk, right? You know, but as a believer, one of the greatest compliments that we can ever get is for someone to say, you remind me of Jesus. You remind me of Jesus. Not just because you might have a beard, wear sandals or wear a robe, right? There was a social media post that made the circles a little while ago. A picture is going to be on the screen just in a second here. And it was one of those, you know, if you don't share this on your wall, you don't love Jesus. And the problem was, is that's a picture of Ewan McGregor in Jedi robes as Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> All right? Now, if someone says you remind me of Jesus, hopefully it's not because, you know, you look like a Jedi but because there's something in your personality, there's something in your character that people notice in you that reminds them of what they know about Jesus Christ. And according to Peter, one of the best ways to resemble Jesus is in our submission in this world, our submission. And he, Peter, talks a lot about this word, especially in chapter two. And as we've been going, going through it, we've seen that specifically what Peter is talking about in encouraging believers is submission during difficult circumstances. Submission dealing with difficult people. And submission is one of those words that, that, that kind of sounds harsh to our ears. And, and most of us, when we hear the word submission or submit, it can carry difficult impl- Im- implications. You know, words like this can, can rub us the wrong way when we hear them, right? When you hear the word foreclosure, that doesn't evoke happy feelings in most people, right? When you hear the word, you're fired. Oh, <laughs> That's great. Some people, you hear the word inoperable, and it's like, oh no, right? That's, 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 that could be a very terrible thing. Submission is a hard word. And I think it's a hard word for us because it goes against our very idea of freedom, our very idea of liberty, especially you know, growing up as Americans and having that kind of ingrained into us that we live in the freest country in the world, you know, at least so far and still. We live in the freest nation and all this type of things, and we think if I'm free, if I have freedom, I shouldn't have to submit to anybody in any way. 
But what Peter says back in verse 16 of chapter 2 is he says, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. And so what Peter tells us is, is because we are free, and really the idea is free from the power of sin, free from the control of sin, we're, 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 we're set free from the dominance of sin in our lives in Christ, that we should never use our freedom as a means to, to cover up doing something wrong, to cover up doing something evil, but instead we should be using our freedom to do the right things. We should be using our freedom to do the proper things, the good things. And so I just want to read the verses we're going to be looking at today, and, uh, and then we'll go back and dig through them. So in verse 21, Peter starts out and he says, For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And so, so far in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, what we've looked at in past studies is the idea of submission to the government authorities and the governing authorities above us, right? And specifically when those governing authorities are ungodly or evil. We looked at that. We've also looked at submission in a management or submission to management in our vocational settings, right? If you have a bad boss, if you have someone over you that is very difficult, and, and what submission looks like that in our work environments. And then uh, I've been talking about that the third example Peter gets into is submission in the marriage context. And we're actually going to be looking at that a week from Wednesday. <laughs> and the reason is, is this Wednesday, Chaplain uh, Rick, our youth chaplain, is going to be sharing with you guys here in the, in the building. And the next Sunday, uh, we're going to be recognizing uh, some of the leadership here at Hosanna, those that have been licensed as chaplains here. We actually are going to be ordaining a new pastor. And so next Sunday, I'll be sharing actually from 1 Peter chapter 5 about elders and deacons and church leadership, who they are, what they're here to do for you in the body. And then after that, we'll get back to you know chapter, uh, chapter 3 here, 1 Peter, and looking at submission in the marriage context. But when I went back to study that, I realized that there's these five verses here at the end of chapter two that I forgot about. And so because we go verse by verse, we're just gonna continue through those verses. But what Peter does here in verses 21 through 25 is really bring us to the highest point of the text here. I believe it's the pinnacle of his point. The example, the motivation for our submission, and that example is Jesus Christ himself. Right, we all believe as Christians, as believers, our desire should be to be like him. Right, to be like him, to think like him, to act like him. You know, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives as believers day by day is conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to submission, Jesus did it. He exampled that submission for us. And because he did it, we do it as his children, as his followers. And again, this whole theme of submission hinges on 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, where Peter says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Why? Because we live in a world with people who don't believe in Jesus, and they're watching the Christians. And so we as believers are to live in a certain way among unbelievers. 
The idea is that if we live like Jesus, if we have the mind of Jesus, if we have the character of Jesus, it becomes a catalyst for them to come to know Jesus. It's a part of our witness, and so it's very, very important. And so the five verses we're looking at this morning, um, they're five things. Five things to pursue. Five things to pray for. Five things to, to develop in your life to be like Jesus, especially in the context of submission. So with that, let's pray, and then we'll dig through it. Father, we thank you, God, so much for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that, uh, again, God, it is so practical, Lord. There's so many practical things that you give to us through your word, God, that we can then take and apply into our lives to, to do the things you're calling us to do and to be the people you're calling us to be. Lord, our submission in, in difficult circumstances in the world is such a huge part of our witness, God. And so, Lord, I pray you would speak to us this morning, that you would encourage us this morning, that, God, you would do your work in our hearts as the Holy Spirit is, is, is molding us and shaping us into the image of Christ. Lord, that as we leave here today applying what you've taught us, God, that we would be more like Jesus and that the world, when they would see us, would not see what they're used to seeing in this fallen world, but, God, they would see something different. They would see a different character. They would see a different approach to things. And that, God, that would be a catalyst for them to come to you. God, we thank you so much. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, verse 21. For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The very first thing to do here in our text, if we want to be like Jesus, is to live with endurance. Live with endurance. What do I mean by that? To live in a way where you put up with things. You put up with people. It means that we're to put up with the harsh circumstances that we might find ourselves in this world. We're, we're to put up with the difficult people, and the context is the previous verses, right? Submission to bad bosses, submission to difficult uh, governments. This doesn't mean that, that we just allow injustice to happen, but there's a process of us being good citizens within the societies we find ourselves in. There's a process of saying, God, as long as you have me at this job under this bad boss, you know, I could quit, I could leave, but, but Lord, let me pray and see if you want to keep me here for a while as a witness to them. And so that's the context of these difficult um, circumstances. We are called as believers to suffer unfair treatment. Why? Because Christ suffered. We are called to suffer unfair treatment because we follow a suffering Savior. Right? How many of you remember the song, I have decided to follow Jesus? No turning back. What? Wait, no. No turning back. Wait, stop saying that. Right? This song we sing. And the last time I checked, Jesus walked in some pretty wretched places. Right? I was just talking to Chaplain Ron last night, a uh, good friend of our, our church, Ray Comfort. We were talking about how one of his least favorite songs is Refiner's Fire. Right? He's like, why do people sing that song? Do they realize what they're asking for when they sing that song? You know, Lord, put me in the refiner's fight. Right? Really? It's like saying, God, I want patience. Right? It's like, whoa. But we sing these songs because, you know, God does a work in our lives and it's good for us. And so, you know, this song that says, you know, I'm following Jesus right here, it tells us that, that we follow in his footsteps. 
right? The footsteps that Jesus has laid out for us in many places are footsteps of suffering. And the truth is that we are called to follow in those footsteps. Now, it says here in verse 21 that he's leaving us an example. The Greek word for example there is a word called hippogrammos. It literally means to write under or writing under. The idea here is that in ancient times, when teachers, parents, and educators were teaching kids their ABCs, what they would do is they would write the letters of their language out, right? And then they would place that paper underneath another sheet. And then the student was to trace the letters. That's what writing under means. And so the kids would then trace the letters they were learning. And so the point here is that Jesus' life, his behavior, his conduct is the example to us, is the very ABCs of how we're to live and conduct ourselves in our life as believers, is to be a blank sheet placed on top of his life. In our conduct, in our behavior, we're, we're to trace our behavior by his example. How am I to talk to people when they treat me difficult? Well, how did Jesus do it? That's the idea. Is my mic cutting out? No? Just that one second? Okay, because I'm hearing it, and I'm like, are they missing it? (laughs) But the idea here is that Jesus' life is the example that we're to trace on, whether good or bad, right? When good times are great and things are going well, we're still to, to trace our behavior based upon the example of Jesus. But in the bad times... We're also to trace our behavior on the example of Jesus. We're to do what he did. And the reason why we endure harsh circumstances, the reason why we endure difficult governments, the reason why we endure cruel people is because Jesus did it. That's the answer. That's the why. And then it tells us that we follow in his steps. And that picture, right, is of a dad you know, walking out in the snow and stomping the big footsteps in the snow so his kids can then, you know, follow after, you know, and walk in the exact same spot, not fall into the deep snow or whatnot. That's the picture here. And if you've ever seen pictures of that, you know, the kids follow even though dad's footsteps are so much bigger, right? That's actually a good thing so the kids know where to walk. But we can't forget, it's those big footsteps that Jesus laid out for us those big footsteps led to Calvary. Those big footsteps led to Roman persecution, led to Jewish persecution, persecution that cost him his life. Those are the footsteps we're called to follow in. You know, the Bible says that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So it shouldn't surprise us. So like Jesus... Follow his example. Live with endurance. Live in such a way where you put up with the things for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the witness. And so the idea is, Lord, toughen me up as I follow you. Help me put up with the difficult times, the difficult circumstances, the difficult people. So live with endurance. The second thing we're to do if we want to be like Jesus is to forego vengeance forego vengeance. Peter goes on in verse 22 to quote from Isaiah 53, where Isaiah predicted what Jesus would be like. And then in verse 23, having lived with Jesus in real time, Peter then tells us what Jesus did. Verse 22, it says, he did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So the prophet Isaiah, inspired by God, looking forward through the the, the fogs of time, saw into the future, and what he saw was a Messiah who would suffer, right? Isaiah is where we get the the prophecies about him being crucified and and whipped and beaten, you know, and and, and there's these chapters in Isaiah that, that Orthodox Jews go, nope, that's the forbidden chapter. We don't even want to read that because they weren't looking forward to a suffering Messiah, but Isaiah saw it, and he prophesied about it. He saw this Messiah who, having said nothing wrong, having done nothing wrong, still suffered. However, when we look into the life of Jesus and we see his life, we see that his actions, his words were pure. They were undefiled. They were truthful. But they were also non-retaliatory. He didn't fight back when he was insulted. He didn't fight back when he suffered. You notice that word insulted there, what it means is to become subject to foul or abusive language. Have any of you have ever been subject to foul or abusive language from anybody? We all have in one degree or another. The idea is it's people saying offensive, untrue things about him, accusations towards him that were untrue. I mean, have you ever just simply thought about, maybe gone through scripture and just thought about all the things that people said about Jesus that were untrue, that were lies. They called him an evil doer. The man who was healing people, healing sicknesses, healing disease. Evil doer, really? I mean, so when people say bad things about you and I as Christians, take comfort, we're in good company, okay? But they called him deceiver. They called him an illegitimate child. They called him a blasphemer. They called him the destroyer of the temple. But Peter's point here is is when all that happened, he didn't insult in return. He didn't retaliate. He didn't try and get even. He didn't go, (laughs) my dad could beat your dad up, which would have been the truest statement of all statements ever made, right? He didn't say, oh, you wait till resurrection day. I'm God and I know where you live, right? He didn't say any of that. He didn't fight back. And it's not like he couldn't have, right? It's not like he didn't have backup. You guys remember the story in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus? Tells us Peter pulled out his sword and hacked off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest. And then in Matthew 26, 53, Jesus is like, whoa, dude. No, he says, do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? One legion was 6,000 soldiers. 12 legions would be 72,000 angels that Jesus is saying, don't, why are you swinging your piddly little sword around there, Peter? Don't you know I could call 72,000 angels and they'd be here instantaneously? At any moment, Jesus could have thrown around lightning, zapping everybody, right? 
I almost tried to find another picture of Emperor Palpatine, you know, unlimited power. And then I was like, well, now I'm going to have to Photoshop Ewan McGregor's face on it. So it's Jesus. Too much work, right? So no picture for that. But Jesus didn't do any of that. He didn't fight and retaliate. Even Pontius Pilate, it tells us in the word, marveled. Marveled because Jesus didn't say anything against the accusations from those that were accusing him. But here's the issue for us. Here's the issue. It is far more satisfying to get even than it is to forgive, isn't it? Far more satisfying. It's our human nature. But it's that very fallen human nature that has to be restrained, that has to be held back, that has to be said no to because it's natural for us to want to fight back. We love to get in the last word, don't we? Especially in arguments. We, w- we want to be the one that gets that last word in, right? Because we feel like I'm walking away the victor now, right? I said the last thing. I said the last insult, right? Oh, you're going to insult me that way. I'm going to say something worse, right? And then we end up saying things that we like really regret, right? It's, it's our human nature to want to fight back, to come out on top. This was a lesson that Peter, the author of this letter, had to learn himself, If you guys remember back in the Gospels, Peter's the one that said, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? Peter thought he was being so overly generous, right? Someone calls me dumb, I'm like, I forgive you. Someone punches me, slaps me, I forgive you. Seven times, Lord? (laughs) I mean, he was expecting like his, his forgiveness merit badge right there. And we all remember what the Lord said, right? Not seven, but 70 times seven. Now again, that wasn't meant to be an exact number. Oh, you know what, 490 or whatever it is? Okay, cool, I'll, I'll keep track. <laughs> the point Jesus was getting at is Peter's like, Lord, how many times do I endure unjust treatment? How many times do I have to deal with difficult people before I can fight back, before I can retaliate? And Jesus said, infinity times. You never stop. You never stop. Now, forgiveness, it's, it's, it's easy to preach on. It's easy to listen to in a sermon, but try living it out in real life. Oh, boy. Wow. But we're to be like Jesus, right? So live with endurance, forego vengeance. And then the third thing to do if we want to be like Jesus is to rest in confidence. Look at how verse 23 ends. Verse 23, when he was insulted, he didn't insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That word entrusted means to put into the care of someone else, to give it over. What it means is to let it go, to turn it over, to commit it, to set it down. It's to to take it to, to Jesus and go, here, I don't want this in my head. I don't want this in my heart. I just, I just need to give it to you and trust that you're going to deal with it. It means you confidently rest in God's ability to handle the hurt, the injustice, the difficulty you've suffered. Let it go. Now, I don't know how many of you just started singing the song from the, from the Disney movie, right? Or now you're singing the song because I brought it up, you know. Maybe worship will close with it, right? No? Okay. We're not going to do that but you got to let it go. 
And then it says there that he entrusted himself. The, the verb in the, in the Greek is in what's called the imperfect tense. What that simply means in the Greek is it's an action not done once, but an action done over and over and over. It could be said that he kept entrusting himself. 70 times 7, right? Jesus lived it. Jesus lived it and he exampled it. The picture is for every new insult that was hurled at Jesus. Jesus said, Father, I'm entrusting you with that. You, you handle it. For every abusive word towards him, Father, I'm giving that to you. Every hurtful thing, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm committing that one to you. Every crack of the whip on his back, Father, I'm leaving that with you over and over and over repeatedly. So much so, God, I'm giving it to you. God, I'm giving it to you that finally he would be able to say on the cross, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. I'm giving it all to you, Lord, as he bowed his head and died. We're called to follow this example. And if we don't, we end up, eventually, we will end up very bitter people. You see, if every time a wrongdoing that someone has done to you crossed your mind, right? Because they come back. They come back. But if every time that happens, you don't say, Lord, I'm going to entrust you with that. Lord, I, I, I've entrusted you with that thing a hundred times already, but I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep entrusting you. And so as it's entering my mind again, trying to stir me up and get me angry and bitter, I'm just, no, Lord, I'm entrusting you with it because you judge justly. If you don't do that every time, you will become very bitter, very angry. And so get rid of it right now. Get rid of it. Lord, I entrust you with that. I entrust you with my, 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 my frustrations and anger with the government. God, I entrust you with that, with that, that boss, that, that employer, or, or that employee that I have as an employer that's very difficult. God, I'm entrusting you with it. Because I know you are just the judge who judges justly. The fourth thing to do, if we want to be like Jesus, is to love with extravagance. Now, if you've thought it's been difficult up to this point, right? Buckle up, right? Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Jesus loved extravagantly. Now, if you don't know what that word extravagantly means, it's simply the act of spending resources without restraint, <laughs> right? Without restraint. When it came to loving, Jesus was all in. Jesus was all in. He gave everything. The Bible says that he so loved the world that he didn't just endure difficulty. He didn't just put up with people saying bad things against him, treating him unjustly, making fun of him, slapping him across the face. He didn't just put up with that stuff. He gave his own life's blood for those very people who said and did those things to him. Romans 5.8 says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
while we were still enemies of God, while we were still standing contrary to him, shaking our fist at him, blaspheming his name, while we were in that position, he said, I love you so much, I'm going to die for your sins. That's amazing. This is the heart of the gospel because it is the heart of God. This then should be the heart of God's people towards people that are out in the world that don't know him. And it's hard. And in many ways, it seems impossible at times. And I think that is the very reason our God said, yeah, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. For the sake of showing a witness to them, we love extravagantly because we have been loved extravagantly. You could be a good doctor and not love your patients. You could be a good lawyer and not love your clients. You could be a good scientist and not love science. But I don't think it's possible to be a good Christian without love. It's just not possible. It's part of the deal. And if this morning, here in the room or online, you're struggling with love towards others, you have to commit those wrongs to him over and over. Give it to God. Let it go. Say, God, take the bitterness away from me. Take it out of my mind. Take it out of my heart. And the next time, pew, it comes in your mind. You're like, oh, man, they did this to me. God, take it away. God, I want to I just, you deal with it. And pray for them. Pray and ask God to replace the bitterness the anger in your heart with love. We have to do that because can I say something kind of raw and honest to everybody here? People are stupid, right? Just being raw and honest, right? People say the stupidest things, the meanest things, the nastiest, hurtful things, right? We all know it, and that's why they need to be forgiven, because they say really hurtful things. Their imperfection as sinners demands forgiveness. It demands love. It demands it, because we've all run across people, those people that say those things, those people that do that stuff. But I want everybody in this room right now, look to your left, look to your right, and say, he's talking about me. <laughs> right, I'm going to do it too. Right, I'll do it twice. I'm talking about us. They is each one of us. They is all of us, myself included. Our imperfection as sinners demands that we need forgiveness. And it demands that we need love. And since we need it so bad and we're to follow the example of Christ who gives it to us, guess what? We're to give it out as well. Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who spitefully use you. Pray for them. Pray for your enemies. There's a proverb that talks about when you, when, you, when you serve your enemies and you treat them kindly, it's like pouring hot coals on their head, right? And Sure, there's some, some scholarly 
discussion on what that really means, but have you ever treated a person who's just mean and nasty and hurtful and hateful towards you with, with absolute kindness and it just makes them more mad, right? That's what I think it's getting at. But anyways, but I believe if you pray for someone long enough that, that, that you consider an enemy or maybe they consider you an enemy and treat you really terribly, if you pray for them long enough, I think in your own heart they cannot stay an enemy for very long. Because when you keep asking God to bless them and keep asking God to, to, to minister to them and keep asking God, you know, just, just show your face and take care of them. And, and you're, praying, you're not praying things like, God, I, I hope their car swerves off the road. Not those types of prayers, right? The good prayers. God, you know, bless them at work and bless them in their family. And I don't know why they're so angry, but God, I just pray you would take that away. When you do that, pretty soon your own feelings towards them change radically. And you find yourself loving extravagantly. And the fifth thing to do, if we want to be like Jesus, is to display patience. Look at verse 25. He says, For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I believe the point here is that God allowed each one of us to go and do our thing. He allowed us to go and live in rebellion to him. And he patiently waited for us to come back to our senses, ministered to us, did everything he could to get the truth of his love for us in front of our eyes while we were out there just living our life in the world. He didn't force us to come back to him. He didn't force us to become Christians. He just waited patiently, patiently for us to come back and just rest under his authority as our shepherd and overseer of our souls. He lived patiently while we, like sheep, were going astray. Many of you have heard, you know, the, the illustration before, like sheep, sheep are dumb, right? Sheep are just dumb. They will walk off a cliff if the sheep in front of them walked off the cliff. Nobody will stop to say, you know, maybe this is a bad idea. Nope, woo, right over the cliff. And it's so often in Scripture where, where the Holy Spirit inspiring the authors of the Word said, you are like sheep. Wow, thank you, Lord. What a compliment. No, it's not meant to be a compliment. It's meant to help us understand our inclination. That like sheep, we will follow one another right off the cliff. And in so many ways, as we were going about our lives, the Lord led us. I don't believe the Lord ever had an intention to violate our free will and say, I'm going to make you love me. I'm going to make you be a Christian, even though it might have been the best thing for us. He was patient. He was patient with each one of us in our past. You know, just like the father of the prodigal son, right? You know the story, the son said, you know, hey, I have it great here in my father's house, but you know what, I want to leave. I want to go do my own thing. I want to go live my own life. So give me my inheritance. Father said, okay, here you go. And the son went out into the world and just blew it all. Partying. I'm filling in details, right? Drugs, alcohol, lavish living. 
just, just living in the world. And what did the father do? He let his son go. And he watched patiently as the son wasted everything and ended up living with the pigs. But you know what that father also watched? His son eventually come home. You know, I read a story of a, of a father and son, true story in Madrid, Spain. And the story said this, this father and son, they had a big fight, big argument. Harsh words were exchanged, just, just this, this back and forth was just, just vicious. And finally, the teenage son just packed up his stuff and ran away from home because he's like, I'm just done. I can't live like this anymore. And the father, regretfully, regretting some of the things he said, whatnot, he was so brokenhearted. He just, he just went out and he looked all over town for his son. Looked everywhere and he couldn't find him. He, went, he called all his son's friends and they're like, we haven't seen him. And went to all the places where he knew his son hung out. And, you know, all the, just searched high and low and, and he couldn't find him. So finally, in a last desperate attempt, father put an ad in the newspaper and it said this. Dear Paco, meet me tomorrow in front of the newspaper office at 12 noon. All is forgiven. I desperately love you. Please come home. Signed, Dad. The next day, this father shows up at the newspaper office at 12 noon, and there was 800 young men named Paco. <laughs> all waiting to receive forgiveness from their estranged fathers. You know, estrangement in families and relationships, it's a common problem today, unfortunately. And the solution to that estrangement that we might have in our relationships is patience. It's patience. The estrangement we might feel with our government, patience. The estrangement we might have with our bosses and stuff in our vocational world, patience. The estrangement we might sometimes experience in our relationship and our marriages and our friendships, patience. That's the solution. Display patience. Just give people a chance. You know, if you have people in your life that are running away from you, relationships are broken, give them time. You know, pray for them. Pray that they would reconcile with God, that they would come back to him, and in, in that, just come back to, to you and, 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 and heal that broken relationship. Pray for them. You know, Paul told us that love is patient. He said love is kind. And he said love bears all things. All things. So bear it. Endure it. Jesus did for you. Endure it, bear it, all things. So this morning we are being called to, to trace our lives from the very image of Jesus Christ. And then as we go about living our life, to, to display in the communication of our lives an exact copy of who Jesus is. That's what we're called to do as believers. We're called to be like Jesus, and so let us live with endurance. Let us forego vengeance. Let us rest in confidence that he is the just judge. Let us love with extravagance. And let us display patience in all things. And I believe when we do these things, when we pursue these things, when we pray for these things, when we cultivate these things in our lives, we find ourselves more and more like Jesus. We find ourselves more and more just like him, submitting, enduring, entrusting every day in ways that just shine forth the gospel of Jesus Christ into all the places that we find ourselves in our daily life.
God has been patient with all of us. And I think maybe there's some of you in this room this morning or watching online that God has been especially patient with. And I think you know, right? He's been waiting for you to come back to him for such a long time. Maybe for the first time, maybe just as a prodigal to return. You know, did you guys know that there's no disease that Jesus has ever come across that he couldn't cure? He's never met a demon he couldn't cast out. Jesus never met a dead person that he couldn't bring back to life. But he has met plenty of people that he could not convert. Many left his presence not believing in him, and the reason why is because he will never force himself into your life. He will never demand his presence in your life in a way that is just like, I don't care what you think, I don't care what you want. He will never force himself into your life, but he will change it if you let him in, and he will change it radically. Believing in Jesus, receiving his forgiveness, it it means you believe it. It means you receive it. That, that's, that's the part you play in the process. And it requires an act of your will to say, yes, I will do that. And so if you haven't done that, I want you to know something very important. God Almighty is patiently, right now, patiently waiting for you to come home. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you, God, for who you are. Lord, we've been recently studying things that are quite the opposite of how most of us might want to live, or at least how our fallen nature tells us to live, this whole idea of submission, Lord. It's a huge one, God. It's difficult. Lord, submitting to governments, submitting to bad bosses, putting up with bad treatment, unjust, unfair treatment, God, we are called to this. Lord, because we have a Savior whose life ours is to be a tracing of. We have a Savior who suffered for us that we would be saved and forgiven. Lord, we know that Jesus never sinned with his words and never sinned in his actions, God. And and Lord, that's a perfection we will never pull off on our own. But God, we are still called to follow in his footsteps and called to follow his example. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning. Help us, God, to put up with what we feel is cruel, with what is, in many ways, terribly painful and difficult, God. Help us, Lord, to put up with all of that in our workplaces, in our homes, with our neighbors, with our friends, and our families, even with our governments, God. Lord, help us to let go of vengeance to let go with retaliation and getting back at people, Lord, just to give it to you, Lord, to let you deal with it, to entrust you with it all, God. Lord, help us to show love that would just blow people's minds because it is so extravagant. And God, help us to be patient with those who have wronged us. God, ultimately, that through that witness, they would return to you, their God, their Savior, God. And so, Lord, as I'm praying, I know there's some listening this morning that have never been converted, that have never come to you and received you as their Lord and Savior, God. And, Lord, I pray pray for them right now, God. They might be, in the eyes of the world, good people, religious people, well-meaning, good-intentioned. 
But Lord, we know that without you, they don't have peace. They don't have the peace that surpasses all understanding, Lord. They don't have the rest, the assurance that when they die, God, they will stand before you forgiven. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that they would come to rest in you, that they would find that peace in you. And while we're praying with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if God has been speaking to you this morning, and you know that you need to give your life to him. You know you need to receive the forgiveness that he offers you. And you want to say yes to Jesus this morning. You want to receive his free gift of salvation. Which is the complete and total forgiveness from all the many sins. The penalty of those sins that we've committed. If you want to say yes to receive a salvation that is available. Because Jesus himself bore those sins in his body on the cross. If you want to begin living a life of righteousness instead of grossness, a life of freedom and healing, if you want to return to your shepherd and the overseer of your souls, just where you're seated right now in this room, I just ask that you'd raise your hand. Say, yes, I want to receive that. I need Jesus in my life. I want to be forgiven. I want to be saved. If you're watching online, obviously I can't see you. But let us know in the chat if you're saying yes to Jesus this morning because I want to pray with all of you. So if you're in this room, just raise your hand where I could see it. Let me pray with you. God bless you on the side. I see all three of you on the side, all four of you. Anybody else in this room this morning? God is speaking to your heart right now. And you want to receive him as your savior this morning. If you're in this room this morning and, and you've already received Christ in the past but you've been that prodigal, and you want to come back to him right now that God has been speaking to you about the example you've been living and, 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 and you want to say, God, I, I, I'm tired of the example that I've been living. I want to be like you. If that's you in this room this morning, just raise your hand. Let me pray with you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Father God, we pray for those this morning that are coming to you in, in salvation, Lord, for the first time, God. Lord, we know, God, that as their soul is being redeemed, Lord, that the entire hosts of heaven are celebrating. And so if you're receiving Christ this morning for the first time, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. And it's not about the words. It's about meaning this from your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I ask you to forgive me. Lord, I ask that you come into my life. Lord, I pray that my life from this day forward would be a tracing of your example. Teach me to live like you. Teach me to be like you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I could be the person that you're calling me to be. Thank you for loving me so much that you would die for me on the cross that I would be able to live righteously. And for those of you that maybe are just coming back to Jesus this morning, just pray with me right now and say, Lord God, I know I'm saved. I know I'm your child. But I've strayed. To be quite honest, I'm in the pigsty. And I don't want to be there anymore. Forgive me of my sin, Lord. I recommit my life to you this morning. Be my Lord and Master again. 
Be my friend and Savior again. Keep me close to you, Lord, and help me to be like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you guys. If you receive Jesus for the first time this morning, you're here in the room. Uh, We have what we call a new believers packet to just kind of help you on this journey you've just started, you know. Um, You didn't join a church. You didn't sign up for a religion. You are welcome to make Hosanna your home church, and and we pray that you would do so. But the idea here is you've re-begun, restarted um, a relationship with your creator, and that's important. But like all relationships, it takes some work, and we want to help you. Uh, take some of those beginning steps of that. And so please come forward after. There'll be some pastors and elders up front. Uh, We'll give you a new believers pack. If you go out the back, there's some out on the information table. We'll have elders out there as well. You could ask them where those are at. If you're online and you received Christ this morning, um, just we're we're celebrating with you. And so obviously you're not here to get a new believers pack in our room, but we would love to mail one to you. And so please let us know in chat. Don't put your address in chat. Please don't do that. Just say, hey, I received Christ. I'd like to get a new believer's packet. One of our moderators will connect with you privately to get your address, and we'll get that mailed out to you guys. And so um, praise God. You know, God is working in our world today. God is working in our workplaces. I believe God is working in our government. God is doing what God does. And so our job to be a part of that is not to say, God, I demand to know all the details of everything because that would just blow up our brains. Our job is to say, God, each day I want to be like you, more and more like you. And so help me to be like you and have all the characteristics of you in my life because I want to be a light for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe as we do that, we'll see more people get saved. We'll see more lives changed. And um, man, that's just going to bring glory to him. Amen? Amen? Amen. God bless you guys.